Welcome to the Viewpoint Podcast Network. We are a young adults group at Valley View Bible Church in Paradise Valley, Arizona. We meet Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. Find us on Instagram at viewpoint underscore VVVC for more info on how to get connected.
Hosea says, they do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon, the, uh, upon their beds. And in Amos it says, and the songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. It is talking about wailing, these howls, this, this day of destruction that is coming. Uh, uh, James says to the rich that there are miseries, there, there are miseries that are coming. There is punishment. Here he is referring to final judgment. He's not just talking about present, come, uh, present troubles. He's not just talking about, hey, you're going to uh, uh, reach some financial hardships. But he's talking about the day of the Lord that will come. And he's talking about this final judgment. He says about the riches that have rotted, garments that are moth-eaten, and gold and silver that are corroded, these things that pass away, these things that we seek and chase after, riches and nice clothing and gold, silver, money, the book of Job, he says, man wastes away like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. And Jesus says on the Sermon of the Mount, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So scripture says time and time again, it says in the Old Testament, it says in the Gospels, and they say later on in the New Testament, that these treasures will pass. These treasures on earth that we seek after will pass, they will fade away, they will rot and corrode. And Jesus says that where your, uh, your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is our heart coming from? You know, are, are we seeking things of this world? Are we seeking how many likes is my Instagram post getting? How many followers do I have? Are we seeking status in, in, in being an RA or a life leader? Why are we seeking status or, or are we seeking Christ? Again, these things that, that we seek after that are of the world are here today and gone tomorrow. And at the end of the time, at the end of our time, we will stand in front of Jesus, we will stand in front of God, and we will account for everything that we did here on earth, for the way we lived. And we will account for, did we seek Christ with our whole hearts? Did we preach the name of Jesus? Did we preach the gospel? Or did we seek the passions of the flesh? Did we seek the riches of this world? Where did the rich lay their treasures? In the world. And the result was the, the riches fading away, their garments being moth eaten, the, the, the silver and gold being corroded. And I challenge us tonight as, as, we're, as we continue the service, thinking where are you putting your riches? In things of this world or things of above? Are we seeking after God? Again, these, these past seven weeks we've been studying James, focusing on uh, uh, practical ways we can be living our lives. James is a wonderful book for us to study, to look and say, hey, am I living the way I'm supposed to be? Am I living the way the Bible calls me to be? And I ask you, are, are you coming in week in, week out, being like, oh, I'm not living like that. I'm not doing the things that James calls us to do, that the Bible calls us to do. I'm living my own way. I'm seeking treasures of this world. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm not hurting anyone. Are you justifying the way you're living? Or are you foolheartedly seeking after Christ? Seeking after 
God. James says uh, 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 to the rich, he says that the cries of the, those that they have afflicted, he says the cries have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. This term, Lord of hosts, if you've grown up in the church, if you've been to church for a while, it's something you've heard before. And what it means is the Lord of heaven's armies. It is a picture of God as a warrior going into battle, ready to fight, armed and ready. It's not to God as this peaceful, loving God that we often depict him as. We often soften God to make ourselves ourselves feel warm and comfortable. And yes, God is a God of love. God is a God of grace and peace. But he's also the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies, ready to go to war. And the cries of the afflicted, he has heard. Going back to verse 1, he mentioned the miseries that are coming upon the rich. Similar language comes in 1 Samuel. David, facing Goliath, says to him, You come to me with a sword and with a javelin and with a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And at the end of time, Revelation chapter 17 and 19 says, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with him are called, are called and chosen and faithful. And the armies of heaven are arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. God is ready to go to battle. He again changes warning the rich, very prophetic-like language that he's using here, very uh, uh, powerful. Why? Because God does not condone the acts of the rich. He condemns them. You know, going back to James chapter 2, this, this uh, uh, sin of partiality, the sin that we commit, showing partiality, showing favoritism to one group of people rather than another based off of uh, a status, based off of this, based off of whatever it may be. God does not condone that, and he will bring judgment. And what the rich are unaware of, are, what the rich are unaware of is the day of slaughter. So James says, he says, you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. They're unaware. Or worse, they are aware. They just don't care. That God is coming. And he's coming back again. He says that the poor, the innocent, the righteous do not resist. In other words, they turn the other cheek Matthew chapter 5, uh, uh, Jesus talks about turning the other cheek when we face persecution to not retaliate. Again, this is ways that we are called to live, is to turn the other cheek. And as we continue, verses 7 through 11, it says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it. And so it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 
As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So James continues, and he talks, and, and he says to be patient for the coming of the Lord, to wait for him, knowing that he has come, and again, he's coming back. So we wait for him. But how he, he says to wait like the farmers do, for the early and for the late rains. And the farmers are patient as they wait for the crop to grow, as they wait for the harvest. But the farmer is always actively working. When he's waiting for the crops to grow, he's not just sitting around uh, uh, laying in bed all day doing nothing. He's actively working, actively working the fields, actively harvesting, actively just plowing the fields. And likewise, we are to be the same. We are to be patient, but like the farmer. Patient, waiting for the coming of the Lord, but always active, always moving. The Lord is coming. Are we plowing the fields? Are we sowing the seed? Are we watering the seed? Are we doing anything? Or are we like being lazy, lounging around, laying in bed, doing nothing? Just expecting God to come back one day? We need to be patient like the farmers. He says to establish your hearts. This establishing the hearts goes back to laying up your treasures in heaven, and things above, and things that will last. Things that can't be taken away from you. The money can, your status can, uh, 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 your degree can. These things in the world that can be taken away. He says establish your hearts. One way or another, you're establishing your hearts. You're laying a foundation. You're building a house. And are you building it on the rock, a firm foundation, or are you building it on the sand? And the rains will wash it away. Several times James mentions the coming of the Lord. In verse 8 he says, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. This Lord of hosts, the coming of miseries. Uh, uh, verse 9, the judge is standing at the door. Again, th this prophetic uh, uh, literature is coming out right here. This prophetic language is coming out. It is like, hey, be ready. The Lord is coming. I'm warning you. I'm telling you. This is how you're supposed to live. These last several weeks you've been studying. This is how we're called to live. And just like the prophets went to Israel and warned them, hey, walk in righteousness, obey the commandments, follow the Lord your God, your holy God. That's what James is getting at here. He's holding out his, his, his final words to the church, to us. He's saying, hey, listen, this, this I'm going to lay it all out for you. These are the commands you're supposed to do. This is the microscope, the lens of life, the viewpoint you're supposed to look at everything through. And if you're not doing these things, then look out because the day of the Lord is coming. Establish your hearts. He gives the example of the prophets who suffered and died for speaking in the name of the Lord. Jeremiah, Isaiah, and I could go on and on, the major and the minor prophets who uh, proclaimed the name of Jesus, who warned Israel and Judah. 
said, hey, the Lord is coming. Judgment is coming. Turn and repent. Walk in righteousness. And they did not listen and they were persecuted. And James is telling the same thing. Live like this. And now it's our job to go and do the same, to live like this and to proclaim this same very message. That, hey, Christ has come. Christ uh, has died for us. We can walk in freedom. We are not the sins of our past. We are a new creation in Christ. And again, this example of prophets, uh, uh, of the prophets that James calls us to look to. Understand that as we proclaim Christ, as we live this out, as we become obedient to the commands of God, we will suffer and we will experience persecution. We're blessed to be in a country like America where we can speak and we don't have to fear life and death as we proclaim Christ. But there are brothers and sisters of King Christ and churches all around the world who do so, and they live it out, being unafraid and unashamed of the gospel, proclaiming the word of God. And James says, to follow the example of the prophets. You've seen their steadfastness, you've seen the steadfastness of Job, you've seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Even in pers persecution, they remain steadfast. Even in these hardships, they remain steadfast because they establish their hearts on things that will last. They establish their hearts on God. They laid up their treasures in heaven. And so when the rains came and the storms arose, they remained steadfast. Verse 11, this, this theme of enduring trials calls back to chapter 1. When James says in, in verses 2 through 4, it says, uh, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. He talks about Remain steadfast, enduring, counting all joy. In the end, we will receive the crown of life. Patience and suffering. Patience for the coming of the Lord. Patience that is active, that is moving, that is working. Not laziness. There is a distinction, there is a difference. Verse 12 says, But above all my brothers, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So verse 12 here, there's debate among scholars of does it fall more with the previous verses or does it fall more with the verses to come? Some say that it's the beginning of a conclusion or some say that it is a solution to the taming of, of the tongue. Back in chapter 3, he talked about how the tongue is wild and cannot be tamed. It is like a fire. And, 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 uh, uh, it says that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. James also hears repeating the words of Christ. Matthew chapter 5, he says, Jesus says, Let what you say be simply yes or no. 
Anything more than this comes from evil. But Jesus says, let your words say, the, let the words you say be the words you mean. Let your yes mean yes, may your no mean no. May you say what you mean and mean what you say. Again, going back to partiality, taking this home. How are we talking about people? Are we gossiping? Are we spreading lies around their back? Are we saying, are we speaking truths? Are we speaking falsehoods and lies? And he says again, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If we near the end of the chapter, let's continue. Verses 13 it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a, with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. In the ESV Bible, the subtitle right here says, The Prayer of Faith. It's the prayer of faith, and, and, and James first acknowledges those who are suffering. To say, if you're suffering, if you're going through hardships, trials, tribulations, and life just sucks, and it's difficult, let them pray. Let us come together as a community and pray together with that person. Weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. Come together and be with that person. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. The Bible also says rejoice with those who rejoice. And it often says those two things together. And then third, he acknowledges the sick. Most likely here is the physically sick. And he says to gather the elders to pray and anoint with oil. And the importance of the oil is, is symbolic. It symbolizes the healing power of the Holy Spirit. What's important for us to know here is that James is not saying, hey, this is the, uh, the, the mathematical equation of how to heal someone. You got the, uh, the elders, the oil, you pray. No, it is God who heals, not the oil. And ultimately, it is in the name of the Lord, he says. You anoint this person with oil, but it is in the name of the Lord that brings healing. This, and he says that he talks about prayer, the prayer of faith. He says the faith of those who, who are praying, not the sick. It is us who pray over them that are called to pray. To pray powerfully, to pray with confidence. And he says in verse 15 that it will save this person. One, it will physically bring physical healing. Sometimes that comes in miracles. Sometimes that comes in, in long, uh, uh, overtime healing. But also, it will save them and bring a spiritual salvation. 
or growth and blessings of salvation. That's why he says their sins will be forgiven. The ultimate uh, uh, saving, the ultimate healing. It's not just a healing of bodily ailments, but the spiritual salvation. What James is not saying is that the elders and oil will simply heal all illnesses. He is not saying that we have to pray with enough conviction, enough faith, enough confidence. What he is saying is that when healing happens, it is always a gift from God. Some say that he uh, may be referring to the promise of resurrection rather than physical healing. There's a debate between the, uh, scholars and theologians of is he talking about physical healing or is he talking about uh, 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 the resurrection being after our study journal life in Christ Jesus. And my personal opinion is that he's talking about both. I have seen God heal. I have seen God move and do me. Uh, 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 perform miracles. I've seen people who were blind come to see. I've seen people who couldn't walk stand up and run. I've seen the miracles. But I've also seen not miracles. I've seen, uh, and, and I've prayed and been with people and prayed for healing and I've seen it not happen. But I've seen transformation of lives. I've seen people addicted to drugs, addicted to uh, uh, substances and, and porn and, and, and sex be set free and live a life of righteousness. A life where they don't have to be a, a victim to those things. I've seen some people be able to quit drugs and the, the substances on a dime, and I've seen others struggle. Either way, we pray. I can't offer an exact rhyme or reason why things happen the way they happen, but I know what I've seen and I believe them to be true. And I believe James is saying the same thing. I believe he's referring to both this physical healing and also this promise of resurrection that we will be saved. In verse 15 it says, And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This idea of if he has committed sins uh, shows that James does not believe that all sicknesses are tied to sins. Jesus acknowledged this in the Gospels. There is a man uh, 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 who I believe was uh, uh, blind. I believe he was a blind man. And the disciples came up to Jesus and said, Is it his sin or is it his parents' sin that caused this to happen? And Jesus said, It was neither. It's not because of sin, but it's so that I can show my power. And he healed the man. James acknowledges that not all sickness is tied to sin, but it seems to hint that he does think that some is tied to, to, to sin. It says if. doesn't say when, but he says if. And immediately after he says therefore. So if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore. So because of that, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This idea is confess sins to one another. He leads out the bills and he says with power. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another. This idea of community, this idea of fellowship, this idea that we are not meant to live life solo. That this is not just me against the world. It's not just me and God and our relationship is all that matters. Here he's emphasizing the importance of having a strong community. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. If you're suffering, pray together. If you're cheerful, sing praise together. If you're sick, pray together. And if you're stuck in sin, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. That you may be healed of this weight that you've been carrying. This burden of being so stuck in your sin that you feel like you can't get out. And confess that to your brothers. Confess that to your sisters that you may be healed and set free. That you may bear one another's burdens. That you may know that you are not alone in your struggles. That you may know that you are not by yourself in this. But that you may know that God loves you. That you have people around you who love you. Who care about you. And he says, and pray for one another. When you confess your sins, pray together. Pray that God would set you free. Pray for strength. Pray for encouragement. Hold one another accountable. But this idea of praying one another offers a solution to taking the tongue. If your tongue is running wild and rampant and causing death and destruction wherever you go, wherever you speak, pray for one another. Pray for your tongue. Pray for the people you've been speaking back about. It is difficult to talk bad about someone you're praying for them. Pray for suffering and for healing. That's not just for the elders of the church. That's not just for the leaders. That is for everybody. If we are sick, if we are suffering, if we know someone who is, let us come together and let us pray. Why? Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. He gives the example of the prophet Elijah, who had a powerful prayer life, so powerful that he stopped the rain for three and a half years. He gave this example because Elijah had the nature like ours. He was just like us. You know, often we look to Jesus as the example, but people like to think, oh, Jesus, Jesus, though, he's fully God, so he can do those things. He can heal. He can do this. But James says that the prayer of a righteous person like Elijah, like you, like me, has great power as it is working. And if Elijah can have this powerful prayer that suffering for three and a half years, because the same God that was there, and then and the same Holy Spirit that moved there, moves here and now, moves in us, lives in us. That same Holy Spirit can move in someone with a nature like mine, with a nature like yours. So again, I say uh, again that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James is calling us to, to have these powerful prayers, have these bold prayers. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power of our goodness. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
Paul says in Ephesians, to God who can do far more than we can think or ask or imagine, be all the glory. But this God who can do more than we can think or ask or imagine. James says that ask, that imagine, that pray for these things. Pray during your suffering. Sing praise when you're cheerful. Pray when you are sick. Pray over the sick. Pray for healing. Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power. Because we too pray to the God with all of the power. It's not my prayer that's going to kill someone. It is God. God who's able to do all these things. God who spoke uh, creation into existence. God who stopped the rain from three and a half years. It wasn't Elijah's prayer, it was God. Elijah just asked. And her just to ask. James says in chapter 1, you, you ask what you do not have because you ask for the wrong reasons. Are we asking selfishly? Are we asking for wisdom? Are we asking God to heal? And again, it, sometimes it happens. Sometimes these people are healed and we can sing praises. And sometimes it doesn't. We also have to be okay with that. That we don't always get what we ask for. But that does not negate the power of God. That does not mean He is any less powerful than He is. So we pray for these people. And James closes out. Since my brothers and my sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back his sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover him to his sins. That's how James ends this book. Unlike most of the other epistles, especially Paul, James has an abrupt conclusion. Kind of just stops, right? Paul and some of the other uh, uh, Disciples and, and writers of the New Testament often have greetings, a farewell. James just stops. But his final sentences, his final words to the church, he says, he calls the community, he calls upon the church to help those who have fallen into the moral faults mentioned in this book. Again, he says, hey, I have laid out how you are supposed to live, the practical way for a Christian to live. And if anyone has fallen into that, he calls us to go and seek them out, to go and bring them back, to help them, to bring them back. And he, and he says, uh, uh, let him know that whoever brings back his spirit from his wife will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Says we can rejoice when that person comes back. We can rejoice like the father did the prodigal son. We can rejoice the way Christ did for us. The James calls upon the church to seek after these people. In 1 Peter 4, he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And in Psalm 85, the psalmist says, uh, about God. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. 
In the same way that when we pray for sickness and there is healing, it is God who heals. When we bring someone back, it is God who saves. It is God who covered our sins. It is God who chased us. It is in His character to do so. And as Christians, as believers, we are called to follow in God's character. To pursue others, to pursue the lost. Doesn't matter if they've heard it a million times, we are supposed to chase them and seek after them the way that Christ did for us. And Christ went to the greatest extent to lay his life down. And for some of us, we won't go to the room right across from ours. We won't talk to the people we are sharing a dorm with. We're too afraid to take even the smallest step. Christ did it all. He set the example. This is the prayer of faith. This prayer that James is talking about is a powerful prayer. It has great power because we serve a great God. I encourage us as, as we close out this series in James that we do just continue to go back to our notes, uh, continue to just study James and study the Bible and continue to just look and examine how are we living our lives? Am I living the way God is calling me to live? Am I going out and doing the things he wants me to do? Or am I living a life where, where I am building right, uh, uh, riches in the world? James has been a great book to study, and, and I encourage us uh, to continue to do so. I'm going to close this out with a word of prayer. We're going to invite our worship team back up. Hey, you've been listening to a Viewpoint sermon on the Viewpoint Podcast Network. If you are interested in hearing more or getting connected to our ministry, make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and to follow our Instagram over at Viewpoint underscore VVBC. Thanks again for listening and have a blessed day.